When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey YA is sponsored by TBR, tailored book recommendations, Book Riot's personalized reading recommendation service, which now has gifting. Is your favorite book lover hard to shop for? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or year-long subscription, and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at $15, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co slash gift to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash gift. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, and Eric Smith. We are recording on Thursday, June 18th, 2020. Hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? (laughs) I'm here. How about you? I'm here, you know, talking about books. Things could be worse. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I love how I'm like looking at our notes for what we're going to talk about in the section that we labeled chit chat, and we're both like, we haven't read any books. <laughs> I've read nothing. I yeah. Next question. Although it's not totally true, I did finish Lord Morals. It's kind of a cheesy love story, and it was a total joy. It's my new favorite YA rom com like of all time. Oh. So yeah, I did finish a thing. I um, am in the middle of an adult nonfiction book about Mars and like all of the science that's gone into studying Mars and what findings have been had so far, which is really fascinating. But otherwise, like my my reading life has been pretty slow. I have had a hard time focusing and I'm kind of letting that just do what it needs to do. But I have done a number of puzzles and I made a really cool terracotta plant pot and also a dinosaur terrarium, which I guess is to say, like, I've made a lot of stuff but haven't done much reading. That's okay. I mean, yeah. plants are good. Uh, one of my dearest friends has recently started one of those plant groups on Facebook. Uh, and now my entire Facebook feed is just plants nonstop. And I'm like, where, where's my family? Where, where are the people that I'm here for? But I, I could tell you a lot about succulents. So that's, that's good. You know, I have the worst time with succulents. But cacti, I do great with. I don't understand oh, okay. why. I'm not very good with succulents either. I-, I tried to get one of those like subscription boxes for them because <laughs> I thought that would be fun. I could like try. But yeah, it was just basically people delivering stuff for me to kill. <laughs> and uh, it was just not good. <laughs> I did buy, I bought this cute little 
cacti early in quarantine, like literally the first week probably of quarantine. So what was that? Early mid-March. And it was just this little, little thing. And now it is massive. So it's only been like three months. I don't know how long oh. it's been months. But this thing has gotten so huge and I don't do anything to it. Meanwhile, I can treat a succulent, you know, one of those pretty, pretty cute succulents. I could treat it well and it just dies. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is now a plant podcast where we talk. Yep, that's it. <laughs> this is the show. <laughs> we do have real topics to talk about today. But before we dive in, two things. We are doing a survey of Book Riot that we want to know a little bit more about you as readers. It'll only take you a couple minutes and you can see the questions and there's a giveaway attached to it. You can win an e-reader. You just have to go to bookriot.com slash 2020 survey. Bookriot.com slash 2020 survey. It won't take you very long. We just want to know a little bit more about our readers. And then our first sponsor today is who one of our sponsors last week. And I've seen this book everywhere. Which to me says, pick it up and read it already. And that is A Song Below Water by Bethany C. Morrow. Bethany C. Morrow's A Song Below Water is a captivating modern fantasy about black sirens, friendship, and self-discovery set against the challenges of today's racism and sexism. In a society determined to keep her under lock and key, Tavia must hide her siren powers. Meanwhile, Effie is fighting her own family struggles, pitted against literal demons from her past. Together, these best friends must navigate through the perils of high school. But everything changes in the aftermath of a siren murder trial that rocks the nation, and Tavia accidentally lets out her magical voice at the worst possible moment. That is A Song Below Water by Bethany Simaro. Thanks for sponsoring today's show. I have been seeing that book everywhere. Yeah. Did it hit the bestseller list or maybe indie bestseller list? Yeah, definitely hit the indie one. Yeah, which is awesome. So I I lied a little bit when I said I haven't read any books. And I I realized that I lied as I was typing out what today's topics were because it was a book I read last week that led to wanting to talk about this topic. (laughs) So I'll, I'll call myself out right here. But the book I was reading last week is the first one I'm going to talk about. And the topic we're going to dig into is when the setting of a book is a character in and of itself. So technically, it can't be a character because it's a setting, but it plays such a huge role in the story that it's hard to see it as simply a setting. It's got a whole world attached to it in a real way that makes it feel like it's alive as much as any of the characters in a story are. And the book that really launched me to thinking about this was Megan McCafferty's The Mall, which comes out July 28th, so just a few weeks. And a lot of reviews have said this book doesn't have a huge amount of teen appeal and that it's definitely more for adult readers. I both agree and disagree with that. I think it definitely uh, appeals to a certain age group. And it also, I think, appeals to teens who are 90s fanatics. And that's still a big thing among teens today. So I wouldn't write this off as not for teens just yet, particularly those teens who love kitschy 90s teen movies. So love this. So I'm a big Megan McCafferty fangirl, and this book was such a really great return to Pineville, New Jersey, which was the setting of her Jessica Darling series, and there was also this great little Easter egg in the form of Bethany Darling in the book, too. It's really small, uh, but it's definitely a nice wink for longtime fans. So the book itself. The mall is set in 
1991 at the Pineville Mall, and it follows 18-year-old Cassandra as she and her longtime boyfriend Troy break up right as the summer retail season begins. Cassie can't stand the idea of working at America's Best Cookie with him, which, fun side note, this is the second YA book this year that America's Best Cookie has been the place a teen works. I have literally not thought, <laughs> thought about America's Best Cookie like ever, and yet have thought about it now multiple times this year alone. Is that a real place? Yes. They make oh. those giant decorative cookies. I did not realize that. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I was imagining a bunch of authors who were like in on it together. Like, hey, we're all going to call our stores <laughs> America's Best Cookie. Oh, man. So the first, first, first book that I saw it in was War and Speech by Don Zelitis. And the main character gets a lot of her feelings out by creating these snarky cookies that become super popular hits at her job. That doesn't happen in, in the mall because we never get to see Cassandra, Cassie, as she calls herself, work at America's Best Cookie because she cannot fathom the idea of working with her ex-boyfriend now. So she's trying to find a new job at the mall and she gets one at this over-the-top boutique store. But she doesn't tell anybody that she's got this job. Her parents are still under the belief she's working at the cookie store. And so she's lying to her parents about her job. She's lying to them about her boyfriend and about how the summer is playing out. But things come crashing down pretty hard as all the lies build up and her parents and her parents announce that they're getting a divorce. So now Cassie is super down in the dumps. She's got this negative attitude that is infiltrating everything, including this job. And it makes people wonder if she actually cares about what she's doing or if it's all simply a way to kill time before she moves to college. She's got sort of this elitist attitude about everything, and it really starts to play out throughout the story. It's a funny book, it's a snarky book, and it is so 90s mall culture. You'll get to follow this really weird and funny uh, treasure hunt that is connected to Cabbage Patch dolls throughout the mall, and you'll revisit Sam Goody and other retail locations that just don't exist anymore because this mall is sort of frozen in amber, if you will, from 1991, and it is a sheer romp. I loved it. That is The Mall by Megan McCafferty, and it's out July 28th. Oh, it sounds like so much fun. And yeah. yeah, I love the concept of digging into this when it comes to any kind of fiction. I feel like it's something I end up stressing a lot in my agent life. Like when a writer decides to dive into writing historical, whether the book is set centuries in the past, or is a novel in the 90s, because like, yes, the book Kelly just talked about is technically historical, even mm. though I know <laughs> it's going to make everyone feel old, and we're all going to feel that <laughs> right now. But just just for a moment, nineteen ninety or nineteen ninety was thirty years ago. So I know, I know, oh my god, I know. <laughs> and like books set in that time, like in the eighties or the nineties, like they shouldn't be there just because like the writer is like, oh, I don't want the characters to have mm-hmm. cell phones because then you know your setting isn't going to be as lush and alive as it should be. And I think readers can tell too when it's a lazy oh, yeah. way out versus like. You're really using that setting purposefully. Absolutely. You know, the setting should feel as alive as the characters. And, you know, and, and not like not like magical pieces of the setting running around, right? Like, we don't want, like, Ents from Lord of the Rings. Like, your setting doesn't have to be talking trees. But it should feel, it should be, feel like it's a part of the book. Like Lee Bardugo's books, right? Like, you can't talk about the Grisha trilogy or Six of Crows without talking about, like, Revka or Ketterdam or, like... The Hunger Games without talking about the districts and the capital. Like, you can't just put those books in Hoboken 
and have them work. Like, that's not how good world building works. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I get so excited about this. <laughs> setting could be something as massive as, like, an entire fictional kingdom or something small, like a food truck or a bookstore or, you know, a mall. Um, and well, that's probably your favorite, Kelly, is, like, the outdoors, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, it's that, that Kate Marshall book. Yeah, uh, I'm Still Here. Yeah, I was like that's that's a perfect example of like mm -hmm. setting being a part of the uh, part of the character. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of hard for me to whittle down like my favorites. Um, <laughs> but one of them is uh is Timekeeper by Tara Sim, and it's been like forever since I brought this one up. <laughs> if you still have it on your Hey Bingo card, you can check it off. But in like Timekeeper, we meet this teen who repairs these giant Big Ben-esque clocks that loom over towns that quite literally control time, and when they're broken, time freezes, slows down, people get locked in place, and the main character is struggling with trying to figure out how to repair this big clock that has his father in a village frozen in time while falling for a swoony ghost that lives in one of the clocks. And just everything about Timekeeper's setting informs the story. You know, the clocks, the world building, the setting that lives and breathes, like the literal like mechanics, the clock mechanics of the world, and it's a trilogy. So maybe go treat yourself to all that excellence. Uh, and that's Timekeeper by Tara Sim. It has been a couple of episodes since you brought that book up. So thanks yeah. for returning to it. And I laugh. <laughs> I laugh because I almost brought that book I love, the Aaron McCann story, The Lake Effect. I almost put that oh, one yeah. in here. But I was like, <laughs> no, Kelly, stretch yourself a little bit. <laughs> well, that would count. So you could, there we go. <laughs> so I, I, I put it out there. My uh, next pick is a book that comes out in October, which I know is a long way away, but I needed to put this on here. So the, the book is This Is All Your Fault by Amina May Safi. And I was inspired by a book Eric is going to talk about later in the show, as well as inspired by this week's What's Up and Why newsletter, which highlights YA books set in bookstores and comic shops, which is a thing this year. So this is Safi's third YA novel. It's set in a bookstore over the course of 24 hours. So it clearly is my catnip. Here's the little the little blip for it. Rin Oliveira is finally going to tell her longtime crush AJ that she's in love with him. Daniela Cloris writes poetry for her own account, but nobody knows it's her. Imogene Azar is just trying to make it through the day. When Rin, Daniela, and Imogene clock into work at Wild Nights Bookstore on the first day of summer, they're expecting the hours to drift by the way they always do. Instead, they have to deal with the news that the bookstore is closing. Before the day's out, there'll be shaped heads, a diva author, and a very large shipment of Air Jordans to contend with. And it will take all three of them working together if they have any chance to save Wild Nights Bookstore. This sounds so good. I love the idea of the setting. And I know one of the things that I think makes a setting be such a powerful character is when there is this condensed time frame and the setting doesn't change in that time frame. So I suspect this is one of those books that's just going to be, uh, it's got my name written all over it. That is, This Is All Your Fault by Amina Maisafi. You know what's wild? I totally thought that book was out already. I think it was supposed to and then it got pushed back. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. This... This timeline, this timeline we're in. I know, I know. But it will come out October 13th, so you can put it on your TBR now. Nice. Another one I want to bring up for a uh, setting that, that feels like a character is just, like, to gesture widely at, like, all of Jeff Zentner's books. Reading novels like The Serpent King and Goodbye Days, um, they're just, like, steeped in where Jeff Zentner's home is. Like, they all feel very much set in the South. I feel like the narrative arc of those books uh, and the way those characters grow would feel so wildly different if you took them out of where they are. Same way if you decide to like take the TV show Justified and like put it in Boston, right? It would be like <laughs> wildly different. 
So yeah, I don't know. That's that's my that's my ramble there about, about <laughs> this, the setting and the characters. Uh, and I kept trying to think of like other books that are set in specific cities and and uh, in specific regions that make them so like tied in closely to that. And like when you mentioned like the lake effect set in Michigan, like mm-hmm. that's another uh, sort of perfect example there. Even like the November Girl by Lydia Kang sort of has those same feelings because it's set along the lake. It's set in that very specific place and. You know, well, <laughs> the setting is like literally a woman who can turn into a storm and everything. So I guess the setting quite literally is a character in that book. I love that. Actually, the setting in, in her other book, the um the one where the spaceship is like a living creature, is it toxic? I think mm-hmm, I think is mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. other book. That's another one where the setting is literally a character. Oh boy. Well, okay, <laughs> there's that's another show. And I'm gonna put a note, Lydia Kang books. So yeah, Jeff Zentner's novels where the setting and the, the character's home feels like a character. And Lydia Kang's books, where the setting literally is a character. Pick them up. <laughs> My next pick is Start Here by Trish Dolor. And this is a fictional story inspired by a real-life story. And weirdly, this is like the weirdest thing. One of the girls in the real-life story is married to a college pal of mine because this world is so small. And, like, I'd never heard of this story before until I read this book. And then suddenly I saw this girl's name pop up as a partner to this guy I went to college with, and then they got married. And I was like, oh, I know a lot about her, and I don't know her at all. It's very strange. That aside, so the book is set entirely on a sailboat, and I love the setting. So story follows three girls, Willa, Taylor, and Finley, who were inseparable friends throughout high school. And the thing is, Finley was the glue that held the trio together. When they were young, they had made this promise to sail from their home in Ohio through the Great Loop down to the Florida Keys to celebrate the end of high school. But unfortunately, Finley dies from leukemia before she gets to take the trip, and she tells Willa and Taylor that they have to go, and there's a set of clues for their trip that will honor her memory, as well as allow the two of them to bond with one another rather than just through their relationship with her. This is a really fresh take on the road trip story, which I feel like is another great example of when the setting plays the role as a character, like the road trip story. This takes place entirely on a sailboat that navigates a number of locks, rough waters, I mean that both literally and figuratively, as well as a hurricane. And there's zero denying that the weather is symbolic here, the friendship that doesn't really exist between Willa and Taylor, both of whom are really struggling with the loss of this friendship, but feel like they have nothing in common with one another without Finley there to hold them together. Willa is a mixed race girl, Taylor's bisexual, and their identities play a really important part in the story. And I just, it was so moving, this beautiful story of friendship and perfect for readers who love multi-voice stories and who are looking for sort of a road trip story that is totally different. This is set on the water and I never knew about The Great Loop and the real story that was inspiring to this book was a pair of girls who, when they graduated high school, decided they were going to take the Great Loop on a sailboat, which I thought was fascinating. If you haven't read this one, pick it up. That is Start Here by Trish Dolter. All right. So my next one. Oh, dear. I'm looking at my notes and all I wrote was Wilder Girls by Rory Power. (laughs) Hello. The school, period. And that's it. I don't know. I should have probably said a little (laughs) bit more about that. But the boarding school and everything, absolutely. 
plays such a huge part in that story and the oh my god everything about the setting in wilder girls the fact that they're stuck where they are everything is happening there where they are plays such a huge part in the setting uh as a character and it's really hard just to like not rattle off a bundle of YA fantasy novels here. Um, like I, I kept thinking about Wicked Saints by Emily Duncan, Crown of Feathers by Nikki Palpretto, Spin the Dawn by Elizabeth Lynn, because the fantasy world informs the rest of the work. Uh, the setting has to be a huge character. Um, anyhow, there, there's a quick couple of books rattled off right there for you. I've got one more I want to share in this section and it's Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds and I know everybody knows about this book (laughs) but if ever there is a perfect time to remind readers to pick it up it's now and also the graphic novel adaptation of this book comes out later this year too so good time to revisit the written the prose version before digging into the visual graphic novel when that comes out so this is a verse novel set over the course of 60 seconds in an elevator again compressed time frame tight setting. And that's the setup. That's the setting. And it's one of the elements that I think makes this book such a gut punch. 15-year-old Will has a gun shoved in his back pocket, and he is bent on getting revenge on the person who killed his brother, Sean. On the elevator ride down, he meets a number of people who are also going down. And in those 60 seconds, he has to make this life or death decision on whether or not he'll seek revenge. Each person who gets on the elevator and who Will meets has some kind of connection to his brother, and it's in this space he has to reckon with the actions he deeply desires to take versus the actions he knows are the right ones to take to keep himself alive as well as keep the memory of his brother alive. It's so good. That elevator setting is so clever and so powerful. And that is Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. All right, let's dig into our next sponsor. Uh, is Agnes at the End of the World by Kelly McWilliams. Which, a quick aside, that cover is gorgeous. I don't know if you've seen it, Kelly, but oh my god. The Handmaid's Tale meets Wilder Girls in this voice-driven novel from new YA talent Kelly McWilliams. Agnes loves her home uh, of Red Creek, not knowing that it's a cult controlled by a madman who calls himself a prophet. Then Agnes meets Danny, an outsider boy, and begins to question what is and what isn't a sin. As the prophet grows more dangerous, Agnes considers escape, but it isn't safe outside either. A viral pandemic is burning through the population. Will Agnes be able to choose between saving her family or saving the world? That is Agnes at the End of the World by Kelly McWilliams. And oh my god, that's like that's like pure Eric and Kelly catnip right mm-hmm. there. I didn't like I knew it was about a cult. I didn't know about the pandemic. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. I need to read this soon. I'm off to hop on bookshop.org and and pick up a copy there. (laughs) I'm going to add that to my summer TBR now that we're going to talk about. There you go. No, I was going to say, the the reality is we'll both add it to our TBR, but like not read it for a while. Yeah, And then we'll read it and be like, did you hear about this book? You know, like we've not talked about it before. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of putting that book on our TBRs, let's talk about what's on our summer TBRs. I always love when we do this quarterly. Because it's neat to see like what you do plan on reading. And even if you don't actually get to it, you get to highlight some books that maybe have flown under the radar a bit and deserve a little bit more love. So do you want to do you want to kickstart this one? Absolutely. Yeah, the stack of summer reading. I mean, it's wild. Like summer's technically here. Like mm-hmm. By the time this airs, it will officially be summer. It's wild. Like I feel like last last episode, the episode before, we talked about like lost summers in YA. And now <laughs> we kind of have like a lost spring. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what kind of novels we're going to get in the next couple of years that that dig into that that lost spring of of 2020. 
So, yeah, so my first one that I'm going to bring up here is uh, Star Daughter by Shveta mm-hmm. Thakkar. So this one got the nudge to August of this year, uh, and I've got an arc that's just been hanging here that I'm excited to get to. Uh, you can also listen to her talk about this book on an extra credit episode from a while back, so go tune in, and here's a little bit about it. Uh, the daughter of a star and a mortal, uh, Sheetal is used to keeping secrets, pretending she is normal. Uh, but an accidental flare of her starfire puts her human father in the hospital. She needs a full star's help to heal him, a star like her mother, who returned to the sky long ago. Sheetal's quest to save her father will take her to a celestial court of shining wonders and dark shadows, where she must take the stage as her family's champion in a competition to decide the next ruling house of the heavens and win or risk never returning to Earth at all. And I'm so excited about this because it feels like such a fun genre blend, you know, like a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of sci-fi, and that's, uh, yeah, that's the YA catnip for me in a big way. Mm. And that's uh, Star Daughter, and it comes out in August. She has some of the most beautiful writing I've ever read, like, anywhere. It's just gorgeous and lush. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. If for no reason, then I know the sentences are going to be beautiful. Oh, yes. My first pick for my summer TBR is The Black Kids by Christina Hammonds-Reed. This comes out August 4th. This is one that I I know I talked about a book last episode that had its pub date moved like three times. This is another one that just got its pub date moved again. So I want to make sure to highlight it. It comes out August 4th. So the little blip on this one, it sounds so good. Los Angeles, 1992. Ashley Bennett and her friends are living the charmed life. It's the end of senior year, and they're spending more time at the beach than in the classroom. They can already feel the sunny days and endless possibilities of summer. But everything changes one afternoon in April, when four LAPD officers are acquitted of after beating a black man named Rodney King half to death. Suddenly, Ashley's not just one of the girls, she's one of the black kids. As violent protests engulf LA and the city burns, Ashley tries to continue on as if life were normal even as her self-destructive sister gets dangerously involved in the riots, even as the model black family facade her wealthy and prominent parents have built starts to crumble, even as her best friends help spread a rumor that could completely derail the future of her classmate and fellow black kid, LaShawn Johnson. With her world splintering around her, Ashley, along with the rest of LA, is left to question who is the us and who is the them. This sounds eerily timely, even though it is historical fiction. And that is The Black Kids by Christina Hammonds Reed out August 4th. All right. My next one is uh, Today, Tonight, Tomorrow by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Uh, so this one publishes in July. And uh, I mean, like everything, I have, I've had an arc here uh, for a little <laughs> while now. It's a uh, YA rom-com rivals to lover story about two teens uh, clashing for valedictorian uh, and playing in a citywide game that the senior class does every year where they have to be on the same team. And this book takes place in 24 hours. I love time-compressed novels. Um, and surprise, all this time together uh, makes them realize maybe there are feelings. And I'm excited for this one. I'm also very jealous of these characters because, like, my high school, when it was, like, graduation time, they were like, okay, time for a lock-in with no fun things for you. Here, hang out <laughs> in the cafeteria. Here's some chicken nuggets. So this this... <laughs> This sounds like some fun wish fulfillment. I'm excited to read this. <laughs> and that's uh, Today, Tonight, Tomorrow by Rachel Lynn Solomon. I don't even remember if we had anything. Like, I vaguely remember there was some kind of social that I didn't go to because I was like, I didn't want to socialize with these people during school. Why would I want to, like, to celebrate graduating? Yeah. I want to get out of there. Right. Exactly. Like, and I'm not paying for the pleasure of it either. 
Anywho, my next pick is one that I've had an arc of since we had our live show in February. So it's been a long time. And I'm so excited to read it. It's My Eyes Are Up Here by Laura Zimmerman, which is out by the time this podcast hits your ears. It's a book about a girl with giant boobs. And as somebody who lives this life, like, I cannot express uh, how much the struggle is real. So here's the here's the blurb for this one. A mono- monomial is a simple algebraic expression consisting of a single term. 30H, for example. 15-year-old Greer Walsh hasn't been phased by basic algebra since fifth grade, but for the last year, 30H has felt like an unsolvable equation, one that's made her world very small, very lonely. 30H is her bra size, or it was the last time anyone checked. She stopped letting people get that close to her with a tape measure a while ago. Ever since everything changed the summer before ninth grade, Greer has felt out of control. She can't control her first impressions, the whispers that follow, or the stares that linger after. The best she can do is put on her faithful XXL sweatshirt and let her postures and her expectations for other people slump. But people, strangers and friends, seem strangely determined to remind her that life is not supposed to be this way. Despite carefully avoiding physical contact and anything tighter than a puffy coat, Greer finds an unexpected community on the volleyball squad, the team that hugs between every point and wears a uniform, quote, so tight it could squeeze out tears, end quote. And then there's... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. (laughs) And then there's Jackson Oates, newly arrived at her school and maybe actually more interested in her banter than her breasts. This one... The reviews say it's very, very funny, and I cannot wait. Even if just that little quote is any indication, this is going to be a riot. That is My Eyes Are Up Here by Laura Zimmerman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, All right. My next one is uh, Crier's War by Nina Varela. So the sequel to this one publishes uh, in the fall, I think in September. And I've been reading through the first one because everyone I know has just screamed about it at me. I love YA and just sci-fi in general that has like main character, like humans and robots their friendships, their relationships and stuff. And uh, yeah, this one is a love story between two girls. One a machine, one's a human. In a setting where robots have won and we are their servants, like, there's a <laughs> lot in here for me. Um, especially considering how much I liked Ashley Poston's uh, Heart of Iron duology. Um, so yeah, Cryer's War is on the top of my TBR list. Uh, so I can, you know, pick up the second one and just have a, a nice, you know, duology read fest. <laughs> <laughs> My next pick is Blood Moon by Lucy Cutow, and this comes out September 1st. I was working on my quarterly roundup of upcoming books, saw this one, knew it was my jam, tweeted about it, and two seconds later, the publicist was in my DMs like, can I send you a copy? And I said, hold up a second. I think I've got an envelope here from you. I opened the envelope and it was in there. So it was like timing was perfect. This book is a feminist verse novel and so my jam. So here's a little blip of it. After school one day, Frankie, a lover of physics and astronomy, has her first sexual experience with the quiet and gorgeous Benjamin and gets her period. It's only blood, they agree. But soon a gruesome meme goes viral, turning an intimate, affectionate afternoon into something sordid, mortifying, and damaging. In the time it takes to swipe a screen, Frankie's universe implodes. Who can she trust? Not Harriet, her suddenly cruel best friend, and certainly not Benjamin, the only one who knows about the incident. As the online shaming takes a horrifying life of its own, Frankie begins to wonder, is her real life over? Author Lucy Catow vividly portrays what it is to be a teen today with this 
fearless and ultimately uplifting novel in verse. This sounds amazing. Um, yeah. Digging into online menstrual shaming and grief about reputation and oh i cannot wait to read this it has this incredible cover too which if you haven't seen it please go look it up uh the u.s cover the uk cover is fine too but the u.s cover is very striking and that is blood moon by lucy Catal out september 1st all right and my last one is the summer of everything by julia mm. winters uh <laughs> this one hits in september i'm actually wrangle an arc of it and like this is it when it comes to summer way for me, like I'm tapping out, like I feel like you need to manage your expectations uh, for yourself and saying I'm going to read four books this summer, like considering everything that's going on is very generous. <laughs> I feel like our listeners are lucky I'm reading the podcast notes that we have right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let me let me dig into this one. Uh, comic book geek Wesley Hudson excels at two things, slacking off at his job and pining after his best friend Nico. Advice from his friends, uh, 90s alt-rock songs and online dating articles aren't helping much with his secret crush and his dream job at Once Upon a Page, the local used bookstore, is threatened when a coffee shop franchise wants to buy the property. Property. Uh, to top it off, his annoying brother needs wedding planning advice. Uh, when all three problems converge, Wes comes face to face with the one thing he's been avoiding, adulthood. Now confronted with reality, can he balance saving the bookstore uh, and his strained relationship? Can he win the heart of his crush too? Hmm. Uh, so this is why romance and a uh, bookstore saving a used bookshop. It's like uh, it's like mashing up like Verona <laughs> comics mm-hmm. with like a Whitney Gardner novel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm very excited. And isn't Once Upon a Once Upon a Page is a real store, isn't it? Like I I feel like I don't know. It might be. Yeah, I'm gonna have to DM the uh the author and ask what the deal is there because I wonder if it's based on that real place. So I've gotta tell you, I like I said, my newsletter that comes out Monday, so already hit inboxes by the time this podcast goes live, is about YA this year and a couple earlier titles that are set with teens working in bookstores or comic stores because this is like a thing now. And I had to pause and reread the descriptions multiple times because (laughs) this one was set in Once Upon a Story and recommended for you by Laura Silverman, which comes out in September or October, I can't remember off the top of my head, is set in a store called Once Upon. And I kept going, like in my head, they were taking place in the same store. But, like, two separate stories. It's wild. A bunch of YA authors are getting together and crowdfunding a bookstore. It's just, yeah. It's just, these are, they're just laying the seeds right now. Right, right. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> my last pick is Finding My Voice by Maureen Young, OK Lee. And this is actually a way backlist title. And many believe, and I think, I think this is true, it is the first Own Voices Asian American YA book. And it's getting reissued this year. It's got a brand new cover, and I'm really excited to visit this for the first time. I didn't read it when it published. I haven't read it since, and now like, I'm super excited to read it. Here's the blip. Finding My Voice is the groundbreaking Own Voices classic by celebrated author Maureen Young O.K. Lee. 17-year-old Ellen Sung just wants to be like everyone else at her all-white school. But the racist bullies of Arkin, Minnesota will never let her forget she's different the youngest member of the only Korean-American family in town. At the start of senior year, Ellen finds herself falling for Tomper Sandal, a football player who is popular and blonde and undeniably cute, and to her surprise, he falls for her too. Now Ellen has a chance at life she never imagined, one that defies the expectations of hanging out with her core group of friends or pleasing her parents. But is her romance with Tomper strong enough to withstand hometown bigotry and her family's disapproval? 
This sounds awesome. And I'm so pleased to see many of these early titles getting repackaged and republished and rediscovered. And this is one I hope other people pick up too. It is Finding My Voice by Marie Young Okay Lee. All right. And that's all I've got. Do you have any others? I do not. No. I think what you said is true. Like, aiming for four feels good. Yeah. It feels manageable. So we'll see. Watch you and I don't read any of the books we just talked about and read (laughs) totally different books. And people are like, so they're just like making up their TBR along the way. And honestly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't mean we don't want to read the books. Just means, you know, other things pop up. It's true. So thank you all for tuning in this week. If you have any feedback about the show, you can leave it on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. And when you do that, it helps other people find us. Thanks to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram as HeyKellyJensen. And you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as EricSmithRocks. We will talk to you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.